I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with us to the book of John chapter 1 for our passage this morning. And as you're doing so, I want to once again welcome you here to Main Street Presbyterian Church, especially those of you visiting us and those of you joining us online. And if you were just listening, you have heard the gospel message even as we have been singing What a beautiful, beautiful line there. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And praise God that that is true. This morning we're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of John, looking at verses 35 to 42. And we've reached the point in John's Gospel message where Jesus is going to begin his public ministry. And for the last few weeks, we have had our focus on John the Baptist as he has been making ready, preparing the way, letting people know Jesus Christ is coming, the Savior is coming, the Messiah is coming. This week, this morning, we will deal with the overlap. We will see John's role diminish and Jesus' role elevated. Now, we're not done with John the Baptist. He's going to come back around. But we see this transition. And really, the focus this morning is that transition. What does it look like for such a prominent figure as John the Baptist to go to the background and for Jesus Christ to take the central role. And I believe there will be much for us to think about as we consider this. We're going to do this in the context of Jesus calling his disciples. Lord willing, over the next two weeks, uh, we will be addressing Jesus calling the first of the uh, um, disciples to himself. This was not uncommon in those times. If you were a great teacher or if you were one of a profession as a, as a blacksmith or one who works with leather or something like that, you would have disciples. You would have people that you were training. You didn't only do your labor but you also considered that next generation. Who would take your place after you were gone? And what we'll see this morning is that John has been preparing disciples, priming them, if you will, to then follow the greatest teacher, Jesus himself. And so let us consider what it means to follow Jesus Christ this morning by reading the word of God. I would like to begin in verse 35 and read through verse 42. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speaking and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please bow with me as we go to him in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Almighty God, 
We have sung this day that your mercy is greater than our sins, than the darkness, that it is new every morning, that it supplies what we need when we are prone to wander, to worry, to fear, to live in darkness and despair. And so I ask this morning, even as we have sung, as we approach your word, would your mercy be upon us now? Would we hear your word this morning? Hearing your word, would we believe your word this morning? Believing your word, would it transform how we live our lives at home, at work, and our day-to-day interactions? We need you, O oh God. Send your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts willing to receive this truth this day. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. As many do, we have a family tradition as school is starting for our children to write a sign, a little sheet of paper that says what grade they're in and what they want to be when they grow up. And Lisa was reminding me recently, Ethan is three for three in the last three years. Um, He has consistently wanted to be a spy when he grows up. This year, he's added archaeologists to it, so I'm thinking like an Indiana Jones type. And I, I laugh when I, when I see that and think about that. And I wonder for many of us who are in our profession season of life, if you could go back and talk to that five, six, seven-year-old child, and they're there holding up their sign, firefighter, astronaut, teacher, whatever it may be, and then you go to them and, well, I'm a pastor, Oh, you were supposed to be a, a scientist. How would that conversation go? What, what would that be like to explain to your younger self that uh, it didn't quite follow where you were tracking? Would you be able to explain to them the joy you have, even though it didn't work out the way that you had planned? One of my, one of my favorite uh, co-workers in youth ministry, he had this wonderful uh, uh, way of helping students. He worked more on the high school end, but he would get a a high schooler, 15, 16, 17 years old, and ask him, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I think I want to go into accounting. And he would say, okay, perfect. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to find an accountant, and you're going to go to work with an accountant. Because you like the idea of an accountant, you may like the pay of an accountant, but do you know what an accountant's office looks like? Do you know the lifestyle that it takes to be an accountant? Do you know the, the schooling, the education? And no matter what the profession was, he would always take those students, find someone that actually did it, and then make them shadow them in this apprentice style, something that we've kind of lost in our modern world and our modern culture. He dissuaded a lot of people from a lot of professions. <laughs> but what he did is he actually showed them what it was truly like. Well, what we've got in our text this morning is that mentor-disciple model. We see these men who want to be teachers, leaders in their own right, and they have found one to teach them. They have found one to follow. They have found one who can show them this is what it means to be a leader for the sake of Christ. This is the cost. This is the consequence. This is the benefit, and these are the challenges. Here you go. And we're going to see how that plays out for them over the next several weeks. But really, we're going to ask ourselves this morning some similar questions. What do you want? What are you seeking 
We've challenged ourselves on the benefits and the joys of following Jesus Christ, and we've made the case that that is necessary for each and every one of us. So what does that look like? And I want to give us, or rather, um, we're going to let John give us three benefits or three reasons for following Christ, for making Him our teacher this day. The first is that Jesus is the goal of John the Baptist's ministry. Everything we've said about John and his ministry finds its culmination in Jesus. Secondly, Jesus, unlike any other, gives true spiritual sight. He can offer something that no one else can offer. And then thirdly, and really as a summation of the first two points, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We see this in our text, so let's start with Jesus as the goal of John's ministry in 35 to 37. A new day has come in the letter of John, and John really tracks this six-day window here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where we see these things happening on a daily basis. And this day, a day later than last week's passage, John the Baptist comes in contact with Jesus. Last week, in our sermon, the day prior in the text, John has declared Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. He used the, the message he was given by God about Jesus' baptism as the justification. God told me, the one on whom the Spirit rests is the Son of God. And of course, John the Baptist being the one to baptize Jesus, he baptized him, he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon him. The Heavenly Father says, Behold my Son in whom I am well pleased. So John the Baptist has said, This is him. This is the guy. And today, he repeats that message. Behold the Son of God. Normally John's speaking to the crowds, predominantly the Jews, but something else we see in our text this morning is that John has amassed some followers, some disciples. His message has struck a chord with certain people, so they are following him. They're learning from him. They're listening to him. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, it's not uncommon for this to take place. John the Baptist was certainly a skilled speaker. And I think if we think practically here, one might be tempted to amass as many disciples as possible. And let me translate that into to modern language and then you'll understand. Um, we wouldn't call them disciples in our modern vernacular. We'd call them interns. Oh, the joy of an unpaid intern, right? Those of you that run businesses. You get the work and you don't have to cost, they don't cost the pay. But it's all about the experience. Think about all of the jobs you can give an intern or a disciple. You need you to carry these books. I'm going to go teach this great message and, and you really need to learn this message and what better way to learn it than to carry my books. I'm really focused on this right now. Um, it's getting about lunchtime. Can you run a couple of miles into town and fetch us some lunch? You know, why don't you go on ahead to the next village and secure lodging for the next day? Think of all the things you could pass off to interns or disciples. It would be tempting to, to live a kind of ministry like that, wouldn't it? Where you just gathered people to yourself and then pawned off the task you didn't want to do to them. You could live quite comfortably as a teacher or as a, a leader of a certain um, discipline by having all these other people around you. 
But we know that that's not how John the Baptist operated. He didn't function in his role as a prophet and as a teacher like that. We know that because of what happens in our text. We also know that because John believed what he said. And what was his message? What has he said repeatedly throughout um, this chapter? There is one coming who is greater than I. The Son of God comes. Listen to him. Believe in him. Hear his word, his message, his truths. And so, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. He looked at Jesus. He walked by, as he walked by, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And so, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now, some of us might be tempted to look at that and go, John, what are you doing? You just lost your interns. Like, you don't understand how this works. But if you really think about it, John the Baptist proclaims Jesus Christ the Son of God. What is his hope? What is his goal? What is his aim? Well, we just said it. That people might see Jesus and believe in him. So, if John's message is, Jesus is Son of God, see him, believe in him, and his disciples, upon seeing Jesus, believe in him and follow him, it's not actually a loss, but a gain. Because John has done what he set out to do. Lead people to Jesus. See how beautiful that is? Also note the level of humility it would take to do that. To train people up and then pass them off. To pour into these people and then give them to someone else knowing you can't benefit from them. That's not thought of in the world today. That, that's not how we model our lives, and, and it's not how modern business works. I had a friend who worked for IBM for a period of time, and, and he sheepishly told me um, we were very, very careful about imparting wisdom to the next generation because there was always malicious intent. He said, to put it bluntly, the younger guys were always looking for an older guy to mentor or to have, be as a mentor to shadow so that they could one day replace it was always, I've got to jump the ladder, and so I've got to get it any way that I can get it. And so he would say, you, you saw young guys coming, you ran, because you, you didn't want to prepare them one day to take your spot. But D.A. Carson says in his commentary, this is not how John the Baptist did ministry. John the Baptist's ministry was to point people to Christ so therefore, by giving away these disciples means these disciples fully understood the ministry of John and received all he could teach them. Oh, would that be our aim in life, in business, in our families? That we would conduct our, our, our interactions in such a way that our goal is, I want to give you the best of me so that you will be drawn to Christ. Think about it like this, and, and this was a, a challenging thought as parents. Say one day after schooling, your, your children come home to you, and they have this conversation with you that goes like this, dear mom or dad, thank you so much for teaching me the, to follow Jesus Christ. He is Lord of my life, Savior. Thank you for allowing me to go to school to receive an education so that I might learn more about him. There's so many people in this world that don't know him. 
And so following your example, following your model, I'm going to go to Africa and spend the rest of my life as an African missionary. And you're probably not going to see me again because I'm probably going to die doing this work. I love you and thank you. Goodbye. Some of you weren't even afraid of that conversation until I've said it and now you're all like, oh no. But should we be? Would, Would that not be the greatest conversation to have with our children? To know that they walk with the Lord? That they love Him as you love Him? And that their desire, their goal is to see that others do the same even if it costs them their lives? How hard would it be as parents to let go in that moment to release our children into the world knowing that that might be the cost? But oh, would you consider the gain? That's what it was like for John the Baptist. He didn't have any trouble letting go of these these disciples. He had no trouble building them up and letting them go because he was sending them to somewhere better. He was sending them to Jesus. And so everything John says about Jesus is true. Jesus is worth following because this is true. Jesus is also worth following because he gives true spiritual sight. Look at verses 38 and 39. And I love love what we get here. So the two disciples leave John the Baptist and they're following Jesus. And Jesus looks at them. And I, I kind of get this, this image in my head of Jesus turning around going, oh, hi there. What are you seeking? Or let's put it differently. What are you doing? And Jesus being the master that he is, the master teacher that he is, he's speaking on two levels. Physically, re, in reality, um, on the, the base level, Jesus is asking a good question. Why are you following me? What do you want from me? If someone wanted to learn from you, you'd want to know what they wanted to learn, right? If if someone said, teach me, your question would be, well, what do you want me to teach? Or it should be, what do you want to know? Where are you going? Well, that's a, a real question, physically. Which direction are we headed? Where do we need to point the compass? Where are you staying? I need to know the place that you are going to end your walk today, probably so I can wonder, can I get there? So I can listen to you. They're asking a real, a real question about reality and space. But there's something else going on here. Jesus is asking a spiritual question also. What do you want? Truly. Deeply, What is your heart's desire? What do you need? What are you seeking? And how can I change your life in providing it? Now, they're not smart enough to know that he's doing that at the time. We can see it on, on top of things and see that that's what's taking place. All we know for sure is these men are convinced or convicted that John the Baptist likes Jesus... John the Baptist has said Jesus could be the Messiah, the Son of God. We like what he says. We like how he teaches. We like the way he performs his ministry. And so we want to learn from him. At the base level, that's all we can say for certain that they knew. And so he asked, what are you seeking? And their their response is a teacher. Rabbi, which means the teacher. 
We want a teacher, a master. We want someone to teach us. And <laughs> the temptation may be, and I, I want us to always be careful as we're looking at different people in the Bible, to fault them for this. Oh, you silly disciples, why didn't you really get it? Why didn't you really understand who you were talking to and what he was asking and what he was offering? But let's be careful with that. We can make those statements because we've seen the full picture. We've got the whole story. In the context of where they were and what they were thinking, they were probably on track. And let me challenge us further. How many of us came into the church or came from a different denomination or different organization where we had some theological errors or some misunderstandings or didn't quite grasp the reality or totality of what it was we were getting into, only to later discover, oh, so that's what that means. I get it now. Now I see the full picture. And so let's go easy on the disciples, please. Jesus knows all of this that we just said. He knows the, the thoughts, the intentions. And so they ask him, where are you staying? He says again, one of these, one of these sentences with double meaning, come and you will see. Practically speaking, where, are you, where do you stay? I want to learn from you. Come, you'll see. You want to know where I'm at? Follow me. I'll take you there. This would give them the opportunity to learn from him. This would give them the opportunity to sit and listen. And we know that he, um, he keeps them till late in the evening. This also shows us that it's Jesus that beckons them to come. It is Jesus that draws them to himself. The other gospels record this well. Jesus calls us to follow and we obey. But there's a second layer here. There, again, there's, there's the, the, the physical side and then there's the spiritual side. Because the other way we can see this is that Jesus will give them not only physical sight, but spiritual sight. In time, they would come to see with spiritual eyes. They would come to understand what it means to follow Jesus. Many of the apostles would die as martyrs. Many of the apostles would be rejected and shunned and mistreated and abused for their faith. And yet with joy and with gladness they face persecution. The book of Acts and, and really the remainder of the New Testament is a testimony to what it means to follow Jesus and what it costs the disciples to do it. That sight would come in time. That sight can only come, as we talked about last week, through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. And so what is Jesus saying to them while they may not have gotten it, they may not have grasped it? I will let you know things you don't even know to ask. I will give you sight and understanding. And more than that, I will give you me. You want a teacher, you're going to get one. And oh, are you going to learn. Jesus gives something that no one else can provide. This goes back to what we were saying last week about sharing our faith. Just remember, dear Christian, it's not your job to give sight. You're not called to help people see the truth. Your job is to share the truth. 
and let him give sight. Let him give understanding. Let him open their eyes. And so when you go to that family member or that coworker or that neighbor and you're at them again and why can't you see it? Why can't you understand? We've been over this 50 times. We'll do it 51. Do it 70. Do it 100. For many of us, we have stories in our lives of family members, of friends, of neighbors that it took 50 years, 70 years. For some, it's been their deathbed that they saw. Don't lose heart, dear Christian. Share the word, share the message, and trust that God does give sight and that in time he will give sight. Jesus is worth following because he is the truth of the message of John the Baptist. Jesus is worth following because he gives true spiritual sight. And ultimately, we say Jesus is worth following because he is the Messiah. We see this declared in our final couple of verses. And here's where we finally start to understand who it is that have come. They've just been mentioned as the disciples of John to this point, but now we we start to unpack who it is. One of them, um, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And then there's the other one. Now, we don't know for certain who that is. You've got 11 other names that you could put in that slot. Well, less if you count the next passage. We're not sure. But most likely, the speculation is that this is John of Zebedee the author of this book. John goes to great lengths in this letter not to reference himself. He, he tries to play himself in the background. And it was likely that it was he who was the second. But we can't say that for certain. So you're hearing Aaron and not thus saith the Lord there. But what we do know is that one of those two, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he heard the word. And again, go back to last week. What happens? You hear the truth, you believe the truth, you share the truth. Andrew starts sitting with Jesus. He hears what he says. He believes what he says. And then what does he do? He goes and finds his brother. He goes and finds his brother. He says to Simon Peter, we have found the Messiah, the anointed one. The promised one to come, the one to restore Israel, to heal them, to bring them to where God had promised them to be, to deliver the Jewish people. And he was exactly right. Now, he may not have understood how Jesus was going to do it. Most thought the Messiah would come and conquer by force the enemies or the opposition to Israel. Um, At this point, it's going to be Rome primarily. He would amass an army and, and, and mow them down and set the Jerusalem as the reigning place. But they're not, that's not how it's going to take place. It's a little bit different. But again, you can only see spiritually with eyes to see. And so they're not there yet. Plus, Jesus had not revealed how he intended to serve as Messiah, as anointed one, as Savior. But that'll be unveiled in time. But the point to see here is that Andrew is right. They had found the Messiah. And he wanted his brother to meet him too. And so he brings Simon Peter to Jesus. And Jesus meets him. 
And then then something that only Jesus can do. I I could never meet any of you for the first time. And hey, uh, Tim, it's so nice to meet you. Your name is now Philip. Go forth forevermore as Philip. Can't do it. Jesus can. They bring Peter, Simon Peter, to Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, it's good to meet you, Simon Peter. From now on, you're Cephas, which means the rock. And here's the beauty of how Jesus works, and only Jesus can do this. Why is he called the rock? Is it because he's going to be stubborn and reluctant to receive the message of Jesus, and he's going to doubt and worry, and, and really, to be perfectly honest, be the most realistic of the disciples for us because he falls on his face over and over again? And we find ourselves going, I'm more like Peter than anybody else? Maybe. There may be some of that to it. You're going to be stubborn like a rock. That could play into there. But what do we know comes of Peter? What do we know if we read past John, if we go to Acts, if we go to the various um, Gospels, if, or the various letters of the New Testament? What if we go to First and Second Peter? Peter is called the rock because he is the foundation, a stone in the foundation of the church as we know it. His faith, his testimony, his witness will be integral to the church as we know it today. Not in the way the Catholic Church understands it. They've kind of missed the mark there because Peter is only the rock that's sitting on the bedrock, which is Christ. They kind of put him onto his own little pillar. But Jesus, as Messiah, as anointed one, as Redeemer and as Savior, can look to someone and pierce to their heart and go, this is who you are. And in time, they come to be who he's called them to be. That's why we follow Christ. Because Christ, unlike anyone else, can say, this is who you are. And by my faith and by my grace, you will live up to it. And so why would one follow Jesus? Well, he was a great teacher. He, he spoke with authority and power. He had understanding. And at the same time, he's real. He is everything the Bible says that he is. He gives understanding in a way that we cannot receive elsewhere. He is the Savior. That mercy that we sang of earlier, that mercy is purchased in blood. It's, it's purchased in a sacrifice, in a payment. That payment is for our sins. Being that Messiah, they wouldn't understand it then, but they would later, would mean he would die. He would die that the people of God might live. What are you seeking today? A good teacher or the Messiah? Something to learn or a true understanding of who you are? the one whom the Bible preaches, teaches, and proclaims. If that is who you're seeking today, you have found him. His name is Jesus. He loves you and cares for you greatly if you but trust in him by faith. Let us pray. Oh God, help us to have that faith. Help us to trust in Christ and who he is and all he claims He will do. Help us believe in Him, hope in Him, rest in Him. I pray that all of us are seeking Him in our lives. And for those that are hearing this for the first time, may they bend the knee, 
confess their sin, repent, turn from their wickedness, and turn toward you. For those here that have been walking with you for some time now, may we not lose sight of the finish line. May we run the good race. May we see what is waiting for us and know that trusting you, following you, seeking you is greater than anything this world can provide. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your son and for this day you've given us to consider him. Pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.